Hello and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Today's episode is Parenting, in which we'll discuss how parenting was presented and contemplated through Star Trek. The recording of this episode will be published in two parts. In this part, we will discuss the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Child. Next week, we'll discuss New Ground, another TNG episode. In today's episode of the podcast, some of the crew discuss situations that involve childhood injury as well as a death in the community. It's raw and it's real. If you're new here, I'm Victoria and with me is my co-host T. Star Trek Sundays is a podcast through which we and our guest crew examine the philosophical themes presented in Star Trek every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST on Clubhouse. Our goal is not to come to conclusions on the themes we discuss, but to spark contemplation and conversation, which we hope continues after the live recording and into the lives of the listeners of the podcast. For more information about Star Trek Sundays, please visit our website at StarTrekSundays.com. There you'll find links to our published podcasts, links to our recording schedule and watch lists, and our Star Trek Sundays trading post, which showcases some of our fan art. The Star Trek Sundays podcast is available one week after the live show on YouTube and podcast platforms. Please consider subscribing. T, what a great set of Star Trek TNG episodes you curated for us this week. Can you tell us how Star Trek treated the topic of parenting? And then we'll get into the child. You bet. And thank you, Victoria. Uh, Star Trek definitely took a bit of a different approach to parenting and families. Most of the time when dealing with the military, families don't get deployed with the soldiers. Now, the NCC-1701-D is not a wartime ship. It's the Federation flagship, and its mission is diplomatic relations and exploration. So while it's inarguable that the Enterprise is a deadly vehicle in battle, the presence of families of crew aboard is actually a feature that humans have strived to achieve and enjoy at their leisure during peacetime and forego during times of war. It's with this situational backdrop that we find ourselves in space flying around with a bunch of families on board. And naturally, this leads to parental challenges. But what I think is interesting about the way Star Trek handled it is they didn't really want to change the nature of parenting. They only wanted to change the situation it occurs in. In many ways, these episodes felt like love letters to parents, writers who had gone through this many, many, many times and knew it would make for a good story because parenting is a challenge. From mothers who decide that they are going to give birth to their child, to fathers who want to believe their child but realize they are lying to them. These don't necessarily feel like science fiction themes, and yet, when taking place on the Enterprise, they take on a whole new life of their own. Perhaps it's Star Trek's commitment to exploring humanity that made these feel so natural, because I didn't question why we were telling these stories at all. In a world full of unknowns, parenting is another opportunity to seek out and explore new life forms. And so I'm excited today to do a trek of our own on parenting. Thanks, T. Yeah, new life forms, indeed. Some parents might even consider their children little aliens at times. So let's start with the child. 
Can you provide a summary of the episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it what the story was about? And then I have a question for you. Definitely. The Child, Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 2, Episode 1, first aired on the 21st of November, 1988. In this episode, Deanna finds herself unexpectedly pregnant and is faced with the decision of keeping this baby of unknown origins, who grows rapidly through all the stages of human development. I chose this episode because it really puts the decision to become a parent in highlight to a number of interesting situations where hard parenting choices had to be made in unknown circumstances. Thank you, T. I'm going to set aside for a moment Riker's facial expressions and reactions about Deanna's pregnancy, as well as Dr. Pulowski's terrible treatment of Data. We can dig into those later if there's time. This episode contained so much to consider. From Deanna listening to her co-workers talking about whether or not the child should be born, in front of her but as if she wasn't there, until she stated firmly that she would indeed be having the child, to the pain of losing a child, while the explanation for the child coming into Deanna's life gave her some comfort about the loss, the scene in which she loses her child was still gutting to watch. Deanna was determined to be a parent despite not having a clue as to how she got pregnant or what sort of child she would have. This is science fiction, but it's not that much different from real life. Parents have it hard because the decision to be a parent means taking on the unknown and putting on a brave face. Can you think of a time when you either had a scare as a parent or gave a parent a scare when you were a child? Yeah, there was a... a, a scene that my parents would always remind me of growing up when I was three years old. I was over at my grandmother's house and um, she had a, a low wall. And when I say low, I mean like knee high. Uh, it was a concrete wall with bricks on top of it. And uh, I, we were in the backyard out on the patio and I had seen a, a butterfly and immediately, like my first reaction is, you know, butterfly. And I start running at full steam towards this butterfly and smack my head directly into the wall, knock myself out cold, and now sitting there, you know, laying there bleeding on the, uh, on the, on the floor with, you know, a big gash in my forehead. So they rushed me to the, the doctor. I think I woke up. I remember waking up in the car and I remember being very confused. And they were, I mean, they just had, you know, they had your typical parent panic scare situation where now, you know, their child has number one is now bleeding all over the place and you're rushing them to the emergency room. And number two, you know, is now having like confusion due to head trauma. I ended up being fine and, you know, was in the hospital for a day and they let me go the next day. But it was one of those situations where uh, my parents would remind me of that and, and just how, like, terrifying it was, how scary it was. And growing up, I, I think I was always a little bit more cautious because I didn't want to scare my parents in that way. I didn't want to give them, you know, that big 
jolt of like, you know, their son being hurt or something. And so I always played it a little bit safer after that. You know, even when I, even during my, my tree climbing phase, I would always be very careful and very cautious. And I would always make sure that my parents like, you know, knew where I was at and could, you know, come help me if I needed it or something. And it was one of those things where going into being a parent, I knew that I was going to equally have to face these types of situations, these types of scares. And I just got incredibly fortunate that like, I don't think I ever had my, my son was certainly sick, but he was never injured in, in any meaningful way. Um, and so I got really fortunate in that regard is I didn't have to go through nearly, I think the same scares that I put my, my parents through by virtue of me being a child. But I am reminded of like, you know, Deanna's decision at this point to sort of go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be a parent. And my own decision to go, yeah, I'm going to be a parent and accept that, man, there's going to be some scares coming up by virtue of the fact that they're just children and they're little sacks of potatoes that you can throw around and they bounce and get back up and hopefully keep, you know, wandering around. Right. So the, the episode really resonated with me in that, in that way, because I, as a parent and, and, and as a child, remember the scares of parenting. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine how scary that is when, uh, you know, I never thought about it as a kid about how scared the parents would be. Um, but now as an adult, when I see little kids doing something, I can't even imagine how scary that would be to see a little three-year-old uh, hitting their head and passing out. That would be, that would be really scary. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks for coming up to the stage, Babs. How are you today? Definitely glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, great, great. Well, I'll put this this question to you, and welcome to the stage, Ryan. So, Babs, as you know, parents have it hard because the decision to be a parent means taking on the unknown and putting on a brave face. Can you think of a time when you either had a scare as a parent or gave some parents a scare by being a child. Absolutely. Um, the fact that I even became pregnant was a scare. Um, I was told by six different doctors that I would never get pregnant. Um, I had underlying health conditions and different things that would lead to me being infertile. And from the time I was 16 to the time I was 27, um, I was under the belief that I would never get pregnant, thanks to all of these uh, doctors. <laughs> and um, I woke up one morning and I was like, I think I'm pregnant, weirdly enough. And I'd never thought like that before. And I, um, I uh, brought it up to my ex-husband and I was like, I think I'm pregnant. And there was excitement, you know, and yeah, it was, there was a consideration of whether or not I would get an abortion. Um, I chose not to do that. Um, I knew that, um, or I thought that I would be a good parent and I think I am a good parent. Um, but yeah, I think just the overall, just, I, I think it's so common that women don't think they're going to get pregnant or have been told that they're not going to get pregnant. And then they find out they are, you know, at whatever stage they do. I, I think that alone is scary. And then to find out, you know, X amount of weeks into the pregnancy, you know, where everything has to be rushed. Right. Cause I didn't find out until I was about, uh, I think I was about, eight weeks pregnant, 
nine weeks pregnant, 10 weeks pregnant. And most women, I guess I found out, I, I guess they find out really soon, sooner than that. So I guess I was a little late to the party. But um, I guess it depends from woman to woman. But I think, you know, for the most part, just finding out that you're pregnant in general is just a huge scare. But then I think you ease into it. You know, I eased into it pretty easily. And um, I love being a parent. I love the struggles, the the excitement, the the peril, if you will, of, you know, the scary situations, you know. So I don't ever want a scary situation for my child. But when it does happen, I'm here to be the brave face for him. So you know, I, I love being a parent and, uh, you know, as scary as it was finding out that I was pregnant, I could never uh, take it back. I, I love being a parent. So I, I appreciate that a lot, Babs. Um, you know, biologically speaking, there, there's really nothing complicated about pregnancy except everything, right? It's dangerous. It's, it's potentially mm -hmm. A, a, a very, very serious medical situation, even in a normal pregnancy. Oh, absolutely. And then you add on, then you add on, you know, additional complications. And it's like, oh, that, that makes things even scarier. And so I'm glad that you are here and got to share that story with us because I remember, you know, scares with, uh, with past texts with, you know, who also thought that they were you know, infertile from as many doctors as, as you have spoken to, to other complications and then, you know, got pregnant. And then, you know, the only option was an abortion. And that's, you know, the, the route that we sort of had to go down with the doctors. And it was, it was a crap route. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm so glad that you're here to, to tell the story and thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. And surprisingly enough, my, my pregnancy went so well that my doctor, my doctor couldn't deliver my pregnancy. And the stand-in doctor, the on-call doctor came in and he goes, it's really weird. He's like, I've never met a patient who's had such a, a clean cut pregnancy. <laughs> and um, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm like, it's kind of weird. I'm like, I, I, no complications, no nothing. And you know, I, it was just, it was an incredible experience, you know, and I know not all women were as lucky as I was or are as lucky as I was to uh, be as uh, healthy as I was during my pregnancy. Well, thank you for that, Babs. Uh, while you were telling the story, it occurred to me, you know, a lot of women anticipate that they will be able to get pregnant and, and sometimes they even take lots of steps not to get pregnant until they're ready. And in that time, it's given them lots of space to think about what kind of a parent they'll be and maybe even prepare as much as one could prepare for such a job. And I'm wondering, since it was a surprise for you, since you didn't think you were going to get pregnant and, and so perhaps didn't prepare in the same way, when you found out you were pregnant, was there anything that you did differently to prepare for parenthood? like just your mind shift of what to expect or did you just go in going well no parent knows and we just do our best so what did you think at that time when you realized oh i'm gonna be a mom i think for me the biggest thing was and if there's any background noise i apologize kiddo just came in the room you know i think the biggest thing for me was i think there's just a general shift of mind as a mother when you start carrying the child right and, you know, it's, you know, every 
woman's motherly instinct can vary. I, I do feel that that's on a spectrum, you know, but um, I feel that there's just a general shift um, that happens in the mindset of a woman when they find out that they're pregnant. Um, just that, okay, I, I need to take responsibility and I need to do this. I need to do that. The driving force behind my parenting, honestly, is to not be the way my mother was. Um, there was a lot of restrictions, a lot of, um, there was a lot of, uh, boundaries that were crossed and things like that. Hang on one second. There were a lot of boundaries that were crossed and things like that. So I just, my biggest driving force as a parent is to not parent the way that I was parented. Um, just to, uh, you know, be there emotionally, be there, you know, mentally as a parent versus just being there physically and financially. Great. Thank you for that. We always, we always love hearing kiddo in the background. So welcome, Ryan. Haven't seen you in a while. It's good to see you. And I said at the beginning, where's Ryan? Because he brings up parenting all the time in these shows. So I'm really happy that you were able to make it. So as we said, parents have it hard because the decision to be a parent means taking on the unknown and putting on a brave face. Can you think of a time when you either had a scare as a parent or gave some parents a scare when you were a child? Good morning. Yeah, m most definitely. I mean, um, you know, early on in, in my daughter's life, we found out that she had a bunch of allergies. You know, the, the, one of the scariest moments for me was, was coming home from, from doing some work. And this is when we were living with my in-laws, you know, coming home to my mother-in-law being like, everything is okay, but you know, you, your daughter's having an allergic reaction to something we fed her. And I go, okay, well, let, let's see the situation. And, you know, my one-year-old is, is, has blotchy rashes everywhere. Her eyes are yellow and they're rolling back into her skull. And I'm, I'm kind of freaking the fuck out. Right. But like, but I have to put on the, the, the grown-up face. And they say, well, we, we gave her some medication, some, some allergy medication. She should be okay. I'm like, no, she's not okay. We, we need to give her her EpiPen. And um, the situation stalls a little bit, but, but then she starts throwing up and, and evacuating her bowels at the same time. And like everything, like everything that's in her comes out. And so I, I call the nurse's line and they say, yeah, give her her EpiPen. We give her her EpiPen. We call the ambulance. And as she's being wheeled out, into the ambulance my wife shows up from from her job and it was it was a scary situation because you, you, especially when you want your kid right because I've, I've i had had the desire to have children since i was very young i've always been a caretaker in my family i, I took care of my grandmother when she was ill i you know took care of my siblings when they were young and so there was always this expectation of i'll, I'll have kids and here's the first moment where that assumption is really being put into into peril because she could have died and the whole time I, I have to keep a level head right so i'm not allowed to freak out uh, and we get her to the hospital and everything's fine and everything works out but that's the first real moment that you go yes this life is so fragile and and i have to do everything to keep her alive until she can keep herself alive. And even then, you know, I, like I, I had a scare, I had a health scare a few weeks ago and my mother came up from Mexico to be with me to make sure that her firstborn was okay. And so that, that 
that instinct, that desire to want to make our kids' lives better never goes away. And obviously there's a whole spectrum of parenting, right? Like there's, there's parents that probably shouldn't have been parents that are a little too psychopathic. And then there's parents that guard and, and, and spoil too much, making their child's life difficult later on. Uh, but for the most part, I think that as parents want our children to be successes, want our children to get to the finish line of, of being able to take care of themselves. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that you're never going to stop worrying about because you made something amazing, right? With that person, with your partner, you made something that seems like magic, that seems like shouldn't be possible, but it is. And there they are these independent people with their own personalities, their own wants and desires and their own attitudes. And uh, it's not for everybody, but for those that are willing to take on the challenge, it is uh, quite an experience. Yeah, thank you. I see babies all the time and I just, I have to look at them because I, I think, wow, a new person. And then I look at the parent and I just go, oh my God, what a job. It's absolutely incredible what you parents take on. And, um, and you're right, it never ends. You know, I lived with my grandmother for many years into her late 80s. And uh, when one of her kids, who would have been in their 60s, had something going on, she was still just as mother bear as ever. Even though she was a great grandmother, she was still you know, she was still that mom and her kids took priority over her grandkids and her great grandkids. The other people could take care of them, but her kids were still her kids. So you're right. It never goes away. T, did you have any thoughts on that before we move to Joshua? Yeah, it, it occurs to me that we are so fortunate to live in the time that we do live in where we know about things like EpiPens and other things like that. And I'm always, I'm reminded of um, that scene from, uh, was it Star Trek four? Yeah, it was Star Trek four, the voyage home in which bones is, you know, treating the old lady and says, you know, she's describing what, what, what they want to do to her. And he says, it's barbaric. Right. And he gives her a pill and then she's cured of whatever the problem was. And I, I, I so look forward to the day when we have such miracle cures. Um, and I'm so fortunate, you know, to live in a day and age when, when we have the miracle cures that we have today. Um, because I certainly do sleep a lot better at night knowing that that technology is available to us. And I'm glad that, you know, it was available to you at a time when you needed it too. So that story worked out well. Thanks, T. Well, welcome to the stage, Joshua. It's nice to see you. I hope you're ready for this one. Maybe you've got some stories to share. So as we've said before, parents have it hard because the decision to be a parent means taking on the unknown and putting on a brave face. Can you think of a time when you either had a scare as a parent or guardian or gave some parent a scare when you were being a child? I know <laughs> uh, that uh, I gave my mother quite a number of scares. My mother was away getting another guide dog 
when I was alone home. And she's like, okay, this is risky, but I'm going to let you stay home. So I was home by myself for two weeks while she went up to guide dog school when I was a sophomore and, you know, had family chicken in on me, but I was alone by myself for a lot. She had to find out that I had gone to the hospital because I was probably going to lose my eyesight while she couldn't come home to do anything about it. So, <laughs> and she was all, you know, she also knew how difficult that was because she was, was blind herself. So that probably wasn't the greatest thing for her. I mean, she literally, she knew I was going through something. She knew I was going through all the same challenges that, you know, different, right? The my mind was much more sudden than hers in terms of the final end of it. But um, yeah, she was <laughs> not exactly happy and not exactly happy that I wanted to go to my friend's birthday party the next day while I was essentially newly blind for like a day. <laughs> um, so it was a, that's the only thing I can think of. I, I, I ultimately, she, you know, kind of helped me through the transition and everything. And, and it was positive, relevant to her as my mother, me as her son, our relationship with each other. But I, I don't think she was particularly happy that I took so many risks and made the choices I did while she wasn't there. So, um, I don't know how exciting that is or relevant to the discussion it is because I just came in partway through, but that's the first thing I thought of since you asked. Uh, thanks, Joshua. We were talking about the child where Deanna chooses to be pregnant uh, and have a child despite not knowing even how she got pregnant or what the child would be, right? Turns out it, it was humanoid of sorts uh, or at least took that form. So, you know, the conversation is just... Uh, the hardships of parenting and some of those surprises. And I imagine that, that that was probably one of the most difficult times of your mom's life. But given how active you are, even now, she she must have gone through some sort of phase in her life to to accept that to to love you is also to love the risks you take. So I wonder, have you guys ever talked about that? Because you still uh, take risks. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering how she deals with that. You know, it's, it's really funny <laughs> because, um, she, she knows sometimes she, I tell her what I've done after I've done it. I, sometimes I don't tell her all the things I'm going to do. Cause I don't want her to worry. Like, uh, la I think it was last year. Uh, I, I want to say it was 2022. The, uh, the years kind of blur together, but there was the volcano eruption, uh, that mostly affected uh, those undersea volcano eruption that affected like Tonga really horribly and, and, and some of the South Pacific islands and stuff. I don't know if anybody remembers. And in Northern California, it really like severely affected like the flooding of my hometown. I grew up in Santa Cruz up in Northern California and it was all crazy and everything. And that was the same day I had a surf contest locally and locally it was challenging, but it wasn't, it wasn't any near as dangerous, but I got to see I surfed in a tsunami and I get a text from my mother going, you're not, going anywhere near the ocean, are you? <laughs> and it wasn't until after I, so I was like, okay, note to self, don't talk to mom until after my heat's over. Uh, and so after, after, not before, but after I had surfed um, in those waters, which honestly really weren't that bad for Southern California as compared with the other places. It was only after that I told her that I had actually had a surf contest uh, the same morning that she was so worried that I was going to be anywhere near the ocean because she's, you know, 
She's like a mom. She's expecting a big tidal wave to take out anything close to shore. Not even remotely the type of conditions we had down here other than really strong currents. So yeah, I just, I, I take it a point to, to tell her about this stuff afterwards because she'll worry otherwise. How kind. <laughs> well, I think she's, uh, I, I hope that there are times where she really enjoys that you have embraced life. She so does. Fully like and, it's, it's all positive. So active, She's not a worry yeah. word all the time. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's all, all generally positive. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Uh, welcome to the stage boat. I know you just got uh, into the room, so I'll just catch you up. We were just talking about an episode called the child where Deanna, the counselor on the enterprise becomes mysteriously pregnant and decides to keep the child and just see what happens. Her pregnancy is rapid. It's within 36 hours. And when she has the child, the child grows up quite quickly as well. I think he becomes eight years old within a few days. Through that uh, episode, we came to the conclusion that parents have it hard because the decision to be a parent means taking on the unknown and putting on the, a brave face. So I'm wondering, can you think of a time when you either had a scare as a parent or gave some parents a scare when you were a child? Well, thank you for having me on stage, uh, first of all, and second, good morning, everybody. Let's see. Well, first, and third, I mean, the theists must really love that episode. Did we find out how she got pregnant? <laughs> we do. It was an energy force. And and we can go into the fact that it was not consensual later if you uh, want. Uh-oh. <laughs> Oh no! But but I hadn't really thought about the whole theist thing, so that's a that's a good take. Yeah, Thank is. you for that. Yeah, I mean, I just holy cow. So let's see if I've been scared as a parent. Yeah. Uh, okay. So moments I've been scared as a parent. I'm a step parent actually. Only I um, became a step parent when my stepdaughter was four. Um, so I think the answer to the question of being afraid as a parent would that the answer is constantly, which is I'm sure true of every parent, but especially so, cause I didn't have like four years to warm up. You know, I was like, what happens when they get near the corner of a street? Like there's been no, I got a, I got a lot of catching up to do in terms of like trust and like getting her to understand that I have to keep her safe when, why should she think I would ever do such a thing? <laughs> so like that was, uh, you know, an added like kind of, that, that was something, I think that's an added component to step parenting. Um, perhaps. Um, and then s scaring my parent, I really would have terrified my mother if she knew pretty much anything about all of my behavior from about 13 to 25. And so I'm just telling th her things now, I think, just, just to like, for fun, like when we talk, but I was terrifying. I was a terrifying child. I and mean, I think maybe that helped me and a terrifying teenager and young adult. So I think that actually helped me be a parent because I'm actually pretty lucky to be alive, frankly. Um, and I could point to a lot of really kind of concrete cases where that is so. And so, and I'm sure every, you know, some people can relate to that. So, so I think when becoming a step parent, I was like, without like revealing a bunch of glory days, I think I was very conscious of that fact and would just try and you know, in raising my stepdaughter, talk with her about like the dark corners of the world and why one would venture into those places or not. And I think that really helped 
give my stepdaughter, at least so she says, a perspective as she got older and wanted to kind of explore what life, life had to offer. That's great. And I love the, the added value that you bring as a step parent, because I think that the next episode that we talked about where Worf's son comes to live with him at a young age of, you know, six or something like that, six or seven, but having lived with his grandparents, Worf is a, basically a new dad to a child not a toddler, not a baby. So perhaps you will, uh, some of that will resonate with you. T, before we move on to the break, where we talk about what's upcoming, did you have anything further to say on, on this topic? Yeah, um, parenting, step-parenting, same thing. It's all, it's all, it, you know, the, the overlap on that is a big circle. Just wanted to point that out. Right. Oh, absolutely. For, for responsibility, for sure. I, I just thought it was interesting that Boat will come in kind of around the same time that Worf started coming in as a parent. So, uh, so I was relating it to that for sure. I, I agree. I will say that I have some, like, I think there are some key differences that, you know, I will bend the air of any new step parent about. Um, which I, I think you're right, T. I think it all adds up in the end to be the same because it's about love and trust, right? Um, mostly. And being, a, you know, when you can, a guiding human being in on the planet for the young person um, who is your child, whether it's your natural child or stepchild. But there are some, like, interesting, really, like, interesting key differences, I think, um, as well that shouldn't be taken for granted because there's just this desire on the part of, of people who might be step parents to like, feel like they have to be their father or have to be, you know, people say to me, Oh, well, she's been with you since you were four, when she was four, since she was four. So she's really your daughter. And I'm like, Nope, she's not. She has a father and whatever the flaws or whatever character of that father, he still exists in the world. I am not that person. I'm somebody else. Um, who has gained her love and trust independent of that and don't need to be her father and the way people think of it. Um, and I think kind of, you know, trying to create that relationship um, is very, very important. And, and because I think people do feel a need to be like, oh, well, I want to be a replacement. I want to be the thing um, that they, you know, I want to be the mother or the father because the mother and father have kind of gone out of the situation. And I'm like that, I, I would always say that's, I would advise people that that's not a good idea. So that you have to forge your own kind of relationship, which is in a way the same and in, in a way very different. Oh, that's definitely true. I just think that, um, you know, it, it, it works best when the village raise, raises the child and everybody sort of like shares the role of parenting around a little bit. And I'm just reminded of the, the ending scene of this episode where, where, you know, Picard is saying, you know, who's going to tuck Wesley in at night? And Worf says, I'll do that. I'll take on that responsibility. <laughs> so it's just, I, I thought that was like such a, such a, a touching moment to sort of remember that, you know, anytime that you're interacting with a child, you might be doing a little bit of parenting, even if you're not taking on like the role of a parent or a step parent or something like that. Right. Well, speaking of, you honest, um, She's 27 now. So if anybody, you know, anyone feels like uh, being a village parent, you know, reach out to her. <laughs> Happy. I think you guys are right. You guys would all be great uh, influences uh, and mentors for her. So, you know, feel free to reach out. We'll do that. <laughs> 
Yeah, great contributions, everyone. That's uh, that's wonderful. Um, welcome to the stage, Gela. I'd love to uh, put this question to you. As you know, parents have it hard because the decision to be a parent means taking on the unknown and putting on a brave face. Can you think of a time when you either had a scare as a parent or gave some parents a scare when you were a child? This is not a situation where my own child gave me a scare, but I certainly was scared as a parent. When my daughter was about six months old, um, I walked into synagogue one Saturday morning and there was this heaviness in the air. And my sister came over to me and said, Senesh didn't wake up this morning. Senesh is the um, niece of one of our members. And this 13-year-old girl, who we all knew, um, had is, had woken up dead, um, essentially. Uh, she just, they couldn't wake her up in the morning, and nobody knew what had happened. And there I am with a six-month-old, and, you know, all of a sudden, I'm in a world where a child can just not wake up one morning, a 13 year old, you know, we talk about, um, you know, sudden infant death syndrome, and there's all these things that we worry about as parents of, of newborns, but like, here I am, all of a sudden in a world where, oh my god, that worry is potentially never going to go away, because if this can happen, then what, <laughs> what, how do I parent, <laughs> um, knowing that this is a thing? that happens. It turned out that she had, for some reason, or maybe for no reason, um, taken one of her father's antidepressants. And um, the dosage was not appropriate for her, and um, and it had killed her in her sleep. Um, so I went out and I bought a uh, locking case for all of my pills. And, you know, as soon as Bachi was old enough to understand I told her, Batya, these are mommy's pills. You are never, ever, 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 ever to even touch them or go near them. And if you ever find something around that looks like a pill or a candy or anything, don't touch it. Tell mommy right away. And then when she was um, a little older, I mean, one might think that she's not old enough now to be told this, but I, I did tell her that I am so emphatic with her about not touching mommy's pills because um, a child from Antedina Synagogue died from taking her parents' pills. And she looked at me and she said, I will never, ever, ever touch your pills, mommy. Good girl. And gave her a big hug. Yeah, that's um, one of the things about parenting is encountering fears that you never even conceived of before you became a parent. Like you didn't, things you didn't know that you had to worry about all of a sudden are looming up at you. And the world all of a sudden seems like a very, very dangerous place. And, you know, eventually we all learn to cope with that because, you know, parenting is to some extent a slog. And, you know, you come to learn that children are resilient. They're largely made of rubber. Um, <laughs> they, they bounce back very easily from a lot of things. But especially in those in those early days, it is absolutely terrifying to be a parent. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Gela. I'm sorry 
for the family and their loss. And I, I imagine it, that that would have been terrifying. And I often wonder, I, I'm child-free. I chose not to have kids. And um, part of that was I, I just didn't understand how a parent could wrap their head around sending their kid off to school. <laughs> like it's such a precious thing in, in your life. And I just don't know, I didn't know how I would be able to cope with the worry about it. I knew how I felt about my pets. And I knew that having a child, whether it was a stepchild or adopt a child or my own child, uh, biologically, I knew that it would be a thousand times the worry. And so I appreciate you guys sharing the realities of that and, and how scary it can be, even when it's, it's not your own at that time and the, the empathy that parents feel for each other. T, did you have anything to add right now? Yeah, I, I definitely did want to say thank you, Gala, for that, because um, I remember when my son had a friend of his fall through the ice and die. And, you know, having to having to ask him, you know, do, do you know what that means that that they died and sort of have that discussion about, you know, not being able to come around to play anymore because they're not alive anymore and what that what that really meant and as much as we want to shelter our our children from such realities we don't want to expose them to you know things like grisly death and loss and, and stuff like that we can't and it sucks because we then have to go sit down with them and say look this is what happens this is the reality of the situation you could die just like this other person did and this is horrible and it's something that as parents we sort of have to go through with our children is sitting them down and explaining the realities of the world that we live in and just how dangerous it is and how how difficult that is to to just you know to want to fill it with with you know gummy bears and and skittles and rainbows and not show them these things and then to realize that that would actually not that help them at all it would hurt them to not better understand even at an early age just what the world is actually like and what they have to you know cope with like pills and things like that absolutely i i wanted to bounce off and like i've had to explain death to my son when he was two um you know on a smaller scale our uh, pet had our pet cat scooter had passed away and um scooter would sleep with us every night and he'd listen to stairway to heaven with us and you know lay on connor's chest and you know so when he died um i had to explain to connor um just exactly what was happening. And I, I had to explain it, of course, in the sense, the, in the manner in which a two-year-old would understand, right? You know, so I, I didn't explain the whole process, but, you know, I said, well, you know, he's going to sleep and he's not going to come back. He can't play with us anymore, you know? And um, my son, actually, surprisingly, I feel like kids cope with death much easier. And, you know, yes, maybe it's the idea that they're a child, right? And they're innocent and they don't really understand, but even now, at four years old, almost five, my son remembers Scooter very vividly. And he'll be like, you know, is Scooter going to come sleep with us tonight? And I say, no, he can't, baby. You know, you remember, you know, Scooter's sleeping right now. And um, he's like, oh, that's right. You know, I miss Scooter a lot. And I'm like, me too, baby. And um, then he moves on. And, um, you know, I, 
I think kids are so resilient in that manner, you know, as long as it's explained to them in a reasonable fashion. I think kids are very resilient when it comes to grieving and loss. As I said, I'm not a parent, but I I look after a lot of my friends' kids over the years from the time they were babies up until, you know, they could take care of themselves as teenagers. And uh, I do remember this one time where one of my friend's kids, she was six. And I always believed that as long as I was honest with the kids, um, then it, it would be fine because kids just, they want honesty. And and sometimes they don't get it from their parents and their grandparents. And so I'm not going to disclose something that might be of opinion, but I can talk around some things in an honest way. Anyway, uh, my girlfriend's daughter was six and we used to, you know, make videos of her dancing and, um, you know, play games. And and I would uh, write down stories for, that she would dictate. So we always had a lot of activity going on. And I remember this one day she came up and she stood in front of me and I said, yeah, what is it? And she says, what happens when we die? And she was so serious. Oh. And I thought, what the deuce? What am I going to do with this? And I said, well, we know a little bit about how we die and what can be done with our bodies afterwards, but we don't really know what happens after. Why? And I wasn't sure what her parents had told her or anything. And I knew they weren't religious, but I wasn't sure if they had, you know, sometimes we tell kids things like Santa and stuff. So I, I don't know if if heaven and hell had been talked about or not. And uh, and certainly I wasn't going to talk about it. So so I said, you know, we, we don't know. And as it turns out, she wanted to talk about her older sister. So about a year or two before she was born, uh, my friend had had... Um, a daughter that died shortly after birth and they had a little picture of her. And so they would talk about her to this, this daughter, their second daughter. And so she was aware of this, but she was aware that she's now older than when her older sister died as a baby. Right. So I can understand why that would be a bit confusing to her. And they had, she had also experienced um, a dog of theirs, a pet dying as well. And as it turned out, I said, you know, we don't really know. Um, but as I understand it, we don't really feel anything after, right? Uh, it's sort of like if we go to sleep and we don't dream. So, you know, I was worried that she was worried that she would be in pain or something like this. And as it turned out, she was just worried that her parents were going to die because she says, I don't want my parents to die. I want to live with them forever. And I said, oh, that's, you know, a long time away. I mean, everybody does die, um, but it is a long time away. And you might actually move out of the house before that happens. And she that scared her more than anything else. She's like, what? Move out of the house? I'm never moving out of the house. <laughs> and as it turns out, she's in her uh, mid-20s now and hasn't moved out of the house. <laughs> but that's that's normal for the Gen Z. But anyway, it was it was a, a really beautiful conversation about it. And we got to some issues that she hadn't really explored with her parents. And I guess she trusted me and and it was just a moment where she was inspired to say something. Of course, though, when her parents got home, I was like, look, we got to talk, <laughs> right? Because this is what your kid asked me. This is what I said, because I didn't want her to then have a conversation with them, repeating something that I had said without giving it context, 
and them thinking, where the hell did she get this information, right? But they get curious about those things. So I think it's probably a good idea to to talk about it and not make it something so mysterious. So anyway, that's that's my little talk on it. And that wraps this first part of parenting. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Sundays. Today we discussed parenting through the lens of the next generation's The Child. Next week we'll publish the second half of this podcast in which we discuss the next generation's new ground when Worf becomes a full-time and somewhat naive dad. We are returning to the live recording on April 2nd with our episode for the love of Trek, an homage to Star Trek, when we'll be discussing two non-Trek TV shows, A Happy Refrain from The Orville and USS Callister from Black Mirror. Please consider joining us on Clubhouse for the live chat, and we hope you have a great week ahead.